0: I'm David Stoker, and I want to welcome you to the Better Life and Recovery hashtag Hope Dealer Movement podcast. As a visible and vocal member of the recovery community since 2009, I'm frequently asked questions and for advice from people all the time. Some are curious, some are still using, some are in recovery, and some people just care about somebody who's currently struggling with a hurt habit or hangout. If people in my community have those questions, I guarantee that people everywhere are looking for answers as well. We started this podcast to give you answers and support, because not only is recovery real, it is amazing. Hope you enjoy the show. This week, we're doing 10 questions with someone in recovery, and today we have Al Vineyard. Did I pronounce the last name right? You got it. Okay. So we're just going to, I guess, talk a little bit about the substance use in your recovery, probably more about the recovery but we're going to ask some questions that our listeners have said they want us to ask when we talk to somebody in a long-term recovery. So the first question would be, why did you start using to begin with?
1: Um, <clears throat> well, my addiction started later in life. I started at around 27. I was injured at work, and I was put on painkillers, and I had just never tried drugs, so it went bad fast.
0: Okay. Bad fast. So you never tried no drinking, no...
1: Well, alcohol I did. So I, for a long time I said that my addiction started with the pain pills, but really I was toying with addiction with alcohol long before that, and I just didn't realize it. Okay.
0: So. so was there like some binge drinking and stuff that went on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. party,
1: party type lifestyle. I'm ex-military, so it just kind of came with... The job, I guess. <laughs> I have heard that on on
0: occasion there can kind of be a culture of drinking. Yes. So, how long were you in the military?
1: Um, for three years.
0: Okay. What branch? Air Force. Air Force. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for your service. Oh,
1: my pleasure. It was great.
0: Um. So, what made you decide to stop?
1: Um. Well, it like I said, it all went bad really, really fast. I, um, I was married with three kids, and I had a house I owned outright, and. Um, I, it, I've never been in trouble with the law, nothing, I've never done anything like illegal. Um, and then within a week after using for a few years, um, my husband got a restraining order against me. I had mortgaged my house and then didn't pay the mortgage on it. I spent all the money from the mortgage on drugs. And then my kids were removed from my front lawn by the Taney County Sheriff's Department. I had three felony warrants dropped for my arrest, and my car was stolen by a friend. So that all happened within a week. I lost my house, my husband, my kids, and my freedom.
0: Wow. So so I know one thing that I like to talk to people about is uh, there's a big difference between dependence and addiction. Right, mm-hmm. because dependence just means our body dependent upon something that gives us a better quality of life, mm-hmm. whereas addiction means we have negative consequences and we continue using anyway. So had there been trouble in that two-year period before? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it didn't yes. just... Yes.
1: It, it, it kind of culminated August 9th of 2014. That was the day my kids were taken, but my kids, like that July, had lived in our house without electricity, they we didn't have water um my my car has actually been stolen four times by four different people and retrieved each time and um i don't know i i had been arrested but warrants didn't come out for me do you know what i mean like i had stuff that happened but i didn't really see the consequences of my actions in front of me i guess
0: car stolen four times probably always by a friend too huh
1: (laughs) always by a friend yes yeah
0: yeah I I think we use the word friend when we're using really loosely we do yes
1: but I I can say that I've met some of the most amazing people on the planet in the darkest times of my life so um some of those people really did come out and become great friends that's awesome yeah
0: so are those are you still friends with those people today are those Mm -hmm. people in recovery Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. yeah that's awesome yes so, what does recovery mean to you?
1: Um it's a lifestyle. It's a whole way of life. I I don't I I don't know. I it's everything that I do. I I count my blessings because there was such a time in my life when I didn't even want to live anymore. It was so bad, you know. So every day is amazing. Every minute I get with my kids is incredible. Every you know, I'm in school now. Just being able to learn and move forward, it's just, it's life. It's incredible.
0: So what are you going to school for?
1: Um, professional writing.
0: Professional writing. That's exciting. I've tried. I've got like 60,000 words written into a book right now. And I keep having people look at it, and then they, they're like, oh, I'll get you something back. And then they don't tend to get me stuff back. Yeah. So... Yeah, so I think that's definitely a gift. Who knows? I may utilize your services in the future. I'm here. Yeah. So, so that's awesome. So, are bachelors or bachelors? Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I got my associate's degree in 2017 for paralegal studies. So, and then I just decided I wanted to keep going.
0: So, what do you want to do with that degree?
1: You know, absolutely nothing now. <laughs>
0: No, I mean the writing, the technical oh, okay.
1: writing. <laughs> well, um, I, I kind of want to get into a publishing house. I think that would be really neat. But um, my, you know, ideal is to publish a book about my journey through addiction and recovery and just try and spread hope as far as possible. Because I know so many people who get down to where they're like, they don't feel like there's a way out and they feel so hopeless and I know exactly how they feel and I want them to know it gets better. Right. You know.
0: So what, just to go back a little bit, I guess I should ask this. Uh, what was the injury?
1: Um, so I worked at a restaurant in town and I had a full rack of glasses dropped on me and it shoved me against the dishwasher and inverted my spine in three places. I actually still have um, an inverted cervical spine right here, and I do therapy three, four times a week for okay. it.
0: And then how long were you, obviously you got painkillers from that. How long were you on those painkillers?
1: I was on painkillers from July of 11 till December 6 of 13, and I I had never tried meth before. but. I wanted to quit using the painkillers, and after about a month of, like, still feeling withdrawal from the painkillers, because I was, I think I was shooting somewhere around a thousand milligrams a day of morphine, and okay. stuff like that, you know. And so um, I started using meth. Just to help you get off the... You know. Oh, absolutely. Because I thought that made sense.
0: (laughs) There's a movie. It's got uh, Ben Affleck and I think uh, Gwyneth Paltrow in it. Mm -hmm. And it's called Bounce. Mm -hmm. And in it, he uh, sees her smoking a cigarette and he's like... uh, I didn't know you smoked. And she's like, well, one of my friends quit smoking and she, she chewed the gum to get off and I started chewing the gum with her. So I'm smoking the cigarettes <laughs> to break myself with the gum habit. And he's like, oh, that makes sense. He said, so next you'll be shooting heroin to get off the cigarettes. Right. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's yeah. funny the way our mind thinks.
1: Yeah. It's like, like, oh yeah, I need to stop
0: this. So I'll do this instead. Yeah. I see alcohol catch a lot of people that way.
1: Well, I did the same. When I got off meth, I used alcohol kind of as a crutch and then found myself arrested again for an alcohol-related incident and decided that it that was, well, I guess that's not entirely true. I found out I had Hep C from sharing needles. Okay. And um, around the time I found out I had Hep C, I was arrested for the alcohol-related incident. When I started treating for the Hep C, um, I wasn't allowed to drink. Right. And then once I was finished treating, I didn't see a reason. The, life was just so much better without it. Right. You know what I mean? There yeah. was just no reason to. So I haven't drank in three and a half years.
0: That's awesome. Congratulations.
1: Thank
0: you. Um, so, Harboni or. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How was that process?
1: Um, tiring. Really? <laughs> it was it was exhausting. I don't know. It just made me feel like I was tired all the time, but it was relatively quick, and um, I've tested negative for hep C ever since. So That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's amazing now that we have, like, the treatment's gotten easier and better because yes. Harboni is so much, it's such a shorter duration. Yes.
1: Three months was what we did it for. That's so, awesome.
0: Yeah. So... What were the things that got you into recovery to begin with? What do you mean? Um, like, uh, were there people in your life? Were there groups in your okay. life? Was it treatment? Was it, um, you know?
1: Well, I my, the first couple weeks, I actually didn't have anywhere to go. And my husband had a restraining order against me, and I just, I lost my home, and I, I had nowhere to go, really. So I would actually sleep under stairwells at some of the hotels in Branson okay. or like on the like the track benches and um I did that for a while and then finally I broke down and I messaged on Facebook an old pastor that from a church I used to go to. So um he was actually there within an hour or so him and another man from church and they put me at the honeysuckle, which is a Christian-owned hotel. Okay. So they kind of worked with him on payment, and he helped me. Like there was a, a senior group at that church that would drive me back and forth to court or, you know, wherever I needed to go. They tried to get me into a program, but I was not eligible for any programs. So um, I just kind of had to follow the, the people that was in my life now, the, the, the people from the church and follow their lead.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, friends are kind of important. You know, the people we hang out with. I heard somebody once say, and I know I say this all the time on the podcast, but I heard somebody once say, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Mm-hmm. And I always say the friends that I had back when I was using obviously didn't point towards me having a future where I wasn't picking up more charges and right. continuing to use. Right. So... And sometimes it's okay to f- be around older people and feel old. I tell people I feel ancient now. Like uh, me and my best friend, they have a daughter that's like a year older than my daughter, and we get together almost every Sunday. We eat yeah. dinner and then we play canasta, which is something I, I associate with like 70, 80 year old yeah, retirees. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> yeah. I never knew how to play until we started hanging out. Yeah, and they introduced us to it. Yeah, it's a card game.
1: Okay, you
0: know, I mean, I was used to playing spades, right? I'm a jail and prison kid, right? Okay, so I'm like, yeah, I can (laughs) play spades, and they're like, we don't know how to play spades, but we know how to play canasta, and I'm like, I don't even know what that is. That's like bridge, right? Like something old people get together and play (laughs) with cards. So I don't know that either. I don't know how to play bridge. I just, I associate both of those games with older people.
1: Right. Well, yeah, they were incredible for just every, like, they bought me clothes. Because I didn't have anything. Like, I had nothing left. They bought clothes for me. They bought food for me. They prayed with me. They, you know, drove me places. Like, they were just amazing. I even had one lady who was very anti- buying me a pack of cigarettes, but she was like, you're not shooting meth anymore, so I'm (laughs) (laughs) going (laughs) to, you know, I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to buy these for you or whatever, which I haven't smoked in years either, but it's um, just everybody coming together was phenomenal. So
0: That's awesome. I used to have this attitude about Christians because I knew a bunch of judgmental Hypocritical. Me ones, too. <laughs> <right>?
1: And <laughs> yeah. when I
0: first met somebody that, that actually had kind of that Christ like walk, I think that was a really important thing for my recovery too.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. That that was incredible for me because I can't tell you how many times I felt so unlovable or judged or didn't want to ask for help because I was afraid of how people would look at me and stuff like that. So just to have all of these people come around me and love on me, despite myself. Right. Is incredible.
0: Yeah, yeah. that stigma and shame can be hard to get around sometimes. Yes. And we tend to be our own worst critics. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, people, we always downplay ourselves. I think it's because we know every negative thing we've ever done and every negative thing that's ever been done to us. Right. You know. So in early on in your uh, recovery, what helped you maintain your sobriety the most? Is there one thing if you could say, hey, this is the one thing that really helped me? advance my recovery when I first decided to get sober
1: um I would say scripture because even in those times like you know in the middle of the night when your skin is crawling and you feel like you're gonna just lose it and everybody who you should call is sleeping right and everyone who's up you shouldn't call so that was when I got in the word I would pray I would put praise music on it's really hard to um feel like using when you're surrounding yourself with praise music. I don't, I, I always tell people, people places things, music, because listen to trap music, put yourself in that frame of mind, right. and you're going to want to go back to old things, put yourself in a different frame of mind and work on going towards new things. So I would say that scripture would be the, yeah. I,
0: I've never listened to Carrie Job once and felt like I'm going to go beat somebody up, right. get high, or rob somebody. Right. Yeah, I agree. I can see how, how, how recovery music would be helpful because I think sometimes we're influenced. We in uh, I waited tables for years, and we always talked about Typho.
1: Yes. Right? Yeah. Full, I waited tables. Full hands in, full hands out. Yes.
0: And, and then uh, whenever I started, uh, when I went to college, I learned about Geico. Which stands for garbage in, garbage out. If we take in garbage through our ears, through our eyes, then a lot of times garbage is going to come out in our lifestyle, too. Yes. Yes. So for me, I'm easily influenced by music, you know, um, and a lot of the music I used to listen to, which was mostly gangster rap and metal, Uh um, it was really easy for me to get mad and, you know, uh, to get violent and the drug use is almost encouraged in the music. Yes. Drug dealing is encouraged in the music. It's, it's bragged about. Mm-hmm. And in order for me to change my lifestyle, I didn't want to listen to things that praised the lifestyle I used to live in my right.
1: past. right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
0: So what's the most important thing you've done for your recovery?
1: The most important thing I've done for it? I guess, what do you mean? Yeah.
0: These are weird questions, okay. aren't they? <laughs> see, see these listeners. They send in all these questions. Um, Like, for me, the most important thing I probably ever did for my recovery. Now, I always preface this by saying I believe there's multiple pathways to recovery. Mm-hmm. My pathway was Jesus. And for right. me, getting saved for me and understanding that I had a, I like the word tabula rasa. It's a word that means blank slate. Mm-hmm. And to realize that when I got saved and accepted Christ in my life, it Canceled out all of those negative things that I'd done, and I had a fresh start. Yes. That was huge for me, and I think that's what recovery is for people it's a fresh start. But a lot of times, we still beat ourselves up about those choices we made in our past. And so, for me, getting saved was the thing that helped me go, hey, wait a minute, this guy died for my sins, right? right? Jesus died for my sins, not to preach. Um, but, you know, Jesus died for my sins, and because of that, all of those things I did before were canceled out, so now I have a, a fresh start, and I don't have to beat myself up, Right. which is easier said than done. I mean, it is. I mean, what my mind knows and what my heart feels sometimes are completely different, but yeah. for me, that was probably the single biggest thing that I did.
1: That was, I, I was actually saved when I was a kid. I was baptized when I was 12. I just went a very different way <laughs> in adulthood, but... Um, I would say rededicating my life. Pretty much everything you just said is is accurate. I, I did find it dealing with the pain of things that I did to my kids, like making them live in the house without electricity, and um, you know having them taken off my lawn by the sheriff's department, right. or them seeing me shoot dope. Like that's those are all things that I think I'll always feel bad. For, right. You know what I mean, um, but then I also have to remind myself that it's Satan who wants me to feel bad, that God already forgave me for those things, and so did my kids. Right. You know, like they um, they're doing awesome and um, they're just amazing. And so whenever I start to feel that way, I have to get back to the Word because. I know that that's Satan trying to stop me from spreading hope and spreading joy by making me remember things that happened in addiction. So, right. yeah.
0: Yeah. That's the cool thing about kids that unconditional love. Yeah. But I tell people this when you look in the mirror, do you like the person looking back at you? Yeah.
1: I do. Um, I do now. Right. Today. Absolutely. Yes. yes. I don't mean back then. I mean, back when I used to look yes. in the mirror, I
0: saw every negative thing mm-hmm. everybody had ever said about me and every negative thing I yes. thought about myself. That's who I saw when I looked mm-hmm. in the mirror. But what I'm saying is, do you like the person that looks back in the mirror t- at you now? Yes. Do you feel like you have a positive influence on your kid's life?
1: Absolutely. Okay.
0: Do you realize you had to go through every single thing you've ever been through to be the person you are today? I do, yeah. So I don't regret... So I tell people I don't regret anything in my past. If I could go back and change anything... I'd learn to play guitar and do everything else the same because I'd be a lot cooler if I could play guitar.
1: Right. Well, I would if I could change. I would change the pain I caused my children, but um, and the pain I caused my husband. But I, I don't, I don't regret anything else. You know what I mean? Right. Before I used, I actually judged addicts, and I find that interesting because, like, I'll see a Facebook post from before use and. I've dogged addicts for their choices and you know, just lock them up, they made their beds, you know, let them lay in it or whatever. and it, it's extremely embarrassing now because I really did feel that way. and then here I am, you know what I mean So I so much about me changed. I'm not just recovered. I have a whole new perspective on, other people and compassion. And so I I wouldn't change the addiction itself. Yeah. It'd
0: be amazing if we could, I wish there was, I could figure out a way to get families to have a better opinion or to be more educated before it impacts them or their family. Yeah. You know, because a lot of times after it impacts them or their family, I mean, now we're preaching to the choir, but before then there still tends to be that lack of knowledge that people have. Mm Mm-hmm. So is there one thing you do every day that helps you maintain your recovery?
1: Um, I, every morning I wake up and I read the Bible. I actually started um, a prayer journal, which I really enjoy. That, I, I started that uh, about a month ago, I guess. Okay. And I just, that has been phenomenal. Just to jot down all of my prayers and then how God's answering them and how God's working through my prayer journal, which is awesome.
0: Very cool. Huh. Why what is it that keeps you from going back to those old behaviors?
1: You know I I don't I don't have I don't have a desire at all. Do you know what I mean? Like when I first got clean whenever I would want to use I would sit down and I would write down 20 things that my addiction cost me, you know, and, right. and the first five are usually easy, but then when you start getting to like 15, 16, you really have to dig deep to figure out everything that it's really cost, and then I would write down um, five short-term goals, and then I'd write down five long-term goals, and then I'd write down steps, tangible steps, what I need to do to achieve those goals, And then by the time I was done with that, my mind wouldn't be on using anymore. And then I'd throw it away. (laughs) And then the next time I wanted to use, I'd just start over. And so it it started associating, like my mind started associating the desire to use with sadness and pain and then goals. Like how am I going to get away from this? You know what I mean? And for I'd say probably for the last four years or so, I don't even have... It, like it never crosses my mind right yeah it,
0: it it amazes me that there's people that have this belief that uh, you never know what's gonna happen tomorrow and in some ways it's accurate in other ways it's not what I mean by that is like when I tell somebody listen I will never willingly use again I mean don't get me wrong uh, I was in a car accident that's how I was introduced to opioids I had meth problems before then, okay. but I died three times in a car wreck, and when I came out of a coma, I was on a morphine drip, mm-hmm. and then I had a TBI uh, mm-hmm. that gave me cluster migraines, and it took about six months for my brain to, to fix itself, so I was prescribed opioids for six months, and then when they cut me off, I went into withdrawals, and yeah, then meth and opioids were my drug of choice, but uh, unless something like that happens, I mean, why would I ever go back to using? I have a life today i have a wife today i have kids today i have friends i have the mm-hmm. respect in my community and i would lose all of those things mm-hmm. so what would ever make me go oh you know what i think putting a needle in my arm and going back to prison would be a great idea today <laughs> that's
1: wonderful yes.
0: i mean i miss county jail you know <laughs> i got top bunk you know i mean i don't miss that at all Yeah. You know, and and I don't see any reason why. And people are like, well, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I'm like, no, I I can guarantee you a couple things. I I, I will never smother my daughter and kill her. I would never punch my son in the face. Um, I will never do drugs. I would never cheat on my wife. I mean, there's things I know that will never happen. Right. You know, so if I can guarantee that I would never kill my kid intentionally, I can probably guarantee that I will never intentionally use drugs again. Right. You know, because I might as well kill my kids if I use drugs again. You know, um, I'm grateful that I didn't have kids in my addiction because if I would have, I think they would have been insane not to remove my kids because of how I use drugs. Yeah. You know, I think you can be a good parent and drink. I think you can be a good, I think you'd be a great parent and drink in moderation. But I think you can be a good parent and, and drink. I, I even know good parents that do drugs on occasion. But I don't think you can be a great parent and do those things. And I think our kid deserves a great parent. Me, I would have been a crappy parent when I used because I that was be my only here. focus. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it, it kills me that people feel like they can't say, no, I'm not going to use anymore.
1: Yeah, I, I never th- – and I'm glad that that works for some people. And I think that there's different avenues – Everyone has a different avenue to recovery. And I respect whatever is keeping you sober, then I think that's amazing. Um, But for me, I can't do the one-day-at-a-time deal. Like, I had to remove the possibility from the table completely. You know what I mean? I can't say, oh, I might do it tomorrow. I I don't want to feel that way. Tomorrow, I want to go to school. Tomorrow, I want to, you know... Go into the jail and do Bible studies. Tomorrow, I have big plans for tomorrow. I can't think right. about the possibility of me doing something else.
0: Right. And that doesn't work for me either. It, uh Man, I'm getting re- I, I, the last week in June and the first week in July, I'm taking two weeks of vacation. Yeah. If I lived one day at a time, How why would, would I take my vacation? Right. You know, why would I save up to buy something? Because tomorrow I might die or tomorrow I might be high, so I might as well spend everything now. Right. It doesn't make sense to me either. But I do know people who it definitely saves their life. Yes. And I respect that for them. I just ask them to respect for me that I don't feel the same way and don't tell me I'm wrong. Right. You know, uh, I hear people say I work a program of humility, uh, but my way is the only way. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't think
0: those two mesh very
1: they don't. well. You
0: know? um, I respect Twelve Steps, Smart Recovery, Christ-based. I mean, whatever it is that helps you. It, I know people that got sober because they went to jail.
1: Yeah. You know, I
0: know people who got sober through treatment. I did not. It never worked for me. But that that doesn't mean I'm gonna look at somebody else and say, well, you know, unless you believe in Jesus and pray to Him and right. accept Him into your life, you will never be sober. Because I know tons of people in recovery that didn't recover the same way I did. Right. So, oh, sorry. That, that's one of my uh, <laughs>
1: that's one of my
0: soapbox things that I really get off on talking I, about because I I truly believe that we need to be more accepting and yes. that the way somebody recovers, it's fine, right? Oh yeah. We don't call you know like with medication, they call it medicated assisted recovery. To me, it's just recovery.
1: Right. You know. You know, I have a friend who um, has been. Uh, using she's one of the people that I met in addiction and I think she's incredible you know and she uses suboxone to recover and she's still on it three and a half years later and she gets a lot of heat for that she gets people who who talk down to her for that but here's the truth the truth is she's an amazing mom She has two kids at home and two kids with the grandparents, and she is there for them right now. She's not out shooting heroin. She's not out breaking the law. She's not out doing anything. But staying at home and being a mother to her children, I'm happy. I'm happy with that. Do you know what I mean? Like I think that's amazing. Yeah. Whatever works.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I I don't even... it's just recovery. I don't tell people I have Jesus-assisted recovery. I don't tell other people, well, you have 12-step-assisted recovery. It's just it's recovery. It's just recovery. Absolutely. So speaking of, they talk about the <laughs> gifts of recovery. What's changed in your life since you stopped using? What have been those gifts for you? I, I know you've already kind of touched on them, but...
1: Um, do you mean like gifts that I feel like I have... I, I guess I... My, my main gift would be God, but, you know, I find it interesting that I love to write, and I actually didn't write before I got high Okay. at all. And in recovery, I found it incredibly therapeutic. Like, I would get on Facebook, which has gotten me in trouble before. Like, I'd get on Facebook, and I'd write about whatever step of recovery I was in. I'm specifically thinking about... Um, this day that I I was like, I tried to commit suicide, and I failed, and I was like, I want to live now. Like, this is what my post was about. Like, I want to live now. Like, I, I want to live for my kids. Like, blah, blah, blah. And that got read in open court <laughs> at a hearing for my children oh. as to why I couldn't have them. Wow. So, it, it has... Come back to bite me some, but at the end of the day, I have found getting it out and putting it on paper to be absolutely incredible for me. Awesome.
0: So our 10th question, if you could travel back in time and talk to yourself the day before you used, what would you say to yourself? Do you think there is something you could say to yourself? Yeah.
1: I'm pretty hard-hitting. <laughs> I can't. Uh, I, people tried to talk to me. I um, The church that I used to go to, there was a couple Taney County deputies that went to that church, too, and my husband actually did, like, a one-on-one type Bible study session with one of the deputies who uh, we used to call Super Cop. He, like, hid in the bushes, I swear, <laughs> and just would pop out of nowhere and arrest me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he tried to talk to me like, don't you remember me? Don't you, don't you know who I am? Like, what happened to you, you know? Right. And I didn't care. I mean, at the time, I didn't care. Right. Now I look back and I, you know, I see that the cops, they really did care and they really did want what was best for me. But you couldn't have said anything to me then. I needed to go through it anyway, I feel like.
0: Some of us are hard learners. Is yeah. That what you're saying?
1: Yes, that's yeah. me. <laughs> cool.
0: I get it. it it's uh, a. I think biblically it would be like Thomas, like no, I don't
1: believe it unless yes, I touch it myself. Unless I touch it myself, yes, that's me.
0: <laughs> They're like, don't touch that electric fence; it'll shock you. And you're like,
1: mm, I wonder what yeah. that feels like. I... <laughs> yes, that's me. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, uh, what is your uh, sober date? you Know
1: August 9th of
0: 2014. Okay, so go, coming on five years, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Thank you. I and mean, it sounds like you have gotten. I, I once heard somebody refer to uh, recovery as playing country music backwards because <laughs> you get back your dog, your, okay. mate, your trailer, your <laughs> yes,
1: so- yes. Well, I actually, my husband, it I am married to the same man. He came back, it, it took him some time, but he came back. I got my kids back. Um, I didn't get my house back, obviously, because I used all that money for drugs. But um, I do have a home that I'm very happy with. And so, um, I, and I'm, I'm, before I had all this stuff and all this money, and I was still, I wasn't happy. But now I have significantly less, and I couldn't be happier.
0: You know, I I talked to a dad uh, yesterday, and he's actually in the documentary we made called Not My Child, and he says it in there. He says, when you get your kid back, because he's talking to other parents, um, sober, he said, you will be shocked. He said, it's like they live in a fourth dimension. They're grateful for everything they have. He's like, that's what everybody wants, and none of us can find it, and most of the people in recovery, they have. They found that ability to, no matter what they have now compared to what they used to have, they are thankful and grateful for it. I think it's amazing. I think we learned the difference between needs and wants. Oh, yeah. You know.
1: You know, living on the street for, even though it was very brief, it was an eye-opener, you know? It it makes you appreciate. And then having people tell you you can't have your kids makes you appreciate the time with them. You know, I, I just everything, everything that I have now is a blessing.
0: Absolutely. Well, Al, I definitely want to thank you for your time. I appreciate you sitting down, talking to us, and I hope that our listeners get as much out of this as I have today. Thanks a lot. Thank you. In closing, I just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Please join us every week for new episodes. If you want to connect with us further, if you have any questions, topics you'd like to hear in the future, or maybe you would like to be on the podcast sometime, you can connect with us at BetterLifeAndRecovery.com. Uh, there's a Better Life and Recovery page on Facebook, or you can uh, we're on Twitter, uh, BLIR underscore NPO. Also, this podcast is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about the network at studiodna.media. Thanks a lot. Y'all have a great week.
1: Do you feel like you're the only
0: young person who cares about your Catholic faith? Do you look around at mass and only see silver foxes? We're Jake and Kathy, a young adult married couple. And we're here to tell you, you're not alone. That's why it's time to get Truth Pops. You're going to get a podcast designed specifically for you, a young adult Catholic in a pop culture world.
1: The countdown is on for Truth Pop.
0: We'll connect Christ into culture.